Dream Sequencer System Online. Good morning, colonist. You have selected the Universal Migrator Program. Please lie down in the energy tank and place the electrodes on your temples. Hey, Prague fans. Welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Prague Podcast Project. My name is Tony, and as always, I'm joined by Lee and Craig. We're three friends and Prague aficionados here to talk about the history and craft of progressive music while sprinkling in our always unvarnished opinions of the music and personalities that make this genre so great. Don't forget you can find us on Twitter at UP3Show or contact us via email at UP3Show at gmail.com. If you just can't get enough of us, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on our homepage at up3show.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcast. This makes sure that you never miss an episode and helps to push us towards the top of the recommendations. How have you guys been? It's been a little while since we recorded one of these. Doing good. What you been up to, Lee? I had to finally turn the news off before I <laughs> went crazy. But uh, nice to be doing this tonight. Instead, take a break, talk about something nice and fun like music instead. So getting into VSTs. Lee, what's a VST? It stands for Virtual Studio Technology, and basically it's just DSP plugins Mm -hmm. that work with your DAW. So, you know, in the old days, if you were going to do reverb and flanging or whatever, you had to get either a box that did it or you had to have dedicated hardware. Now the CPUs have gotten so big and multiple CPU threads that you can do this with uh, VSTs. And so... Really been kind of playing with it. I started just trying to do metafile editing just to kind of change the way they ordered themselves and all. But now I've been getting into like how they get written and stuff like that. So, yeah. What are you up to? What am I up to? Uh, Well, staying healthy, doing a lot of online comedy gigs. That's been fun. Playing a lot of boogie woogie. I dare say I'm starting to get it. I I feel like I could sit down at a piano at a bar and uh, not get stuff thrown at me. Nice. Uh, My kids have been in town. When we wrap it up here, we're going to go watch uh, Galaxy Quest. An oldie but goodie. Because I'm a good dad. That's what I raised my kids to enjoy, a good cinema. Nice. Unfortunately, they didn't get the prog gene for me. Yeah, I'm working on that with my kid. It's a rare gene. What about you, Tony? Yeah, so I have been uh, trying to still continue figuring out the guitar, which seems like I'm just too old to learn something new there. But I have been getting back into streaming on my Twitch channel. Relevant to what we were going to be talking about tonight, I just received Transitus from Arion a couple of days early, so I live-streamed an unboxing of that. And then I remember something Craig said in one of our earlier episodes where I was talking about actually learning what the hell I'm talking about. (laughs) But I reached out to the Colorado Media School. I found out that they actually have an audio production program, and I reached out to them to see about classes and information because it's of interest to me because I care about production. Do it. Go. Do it. It does seem like they're doing some online curriculum, so I have to figure out all of that. But it's just another one of those things to keep all of my skills sharp, right? Cool. Where did you say they are? They're here in Denver. They're physically in Lakewood, but they are part of a bigger, like a DeVry kind of mm-hmm. thing. So much, but there is like 
a Miami media school, and I think there's a San Francisco media school. Did you say it's the Trump school of broadcasting? <laughs> you, you get a free steak. Yeah. You get a steak and a bottle of wine. If, if that was true, <laughs> yeah. I had already graduated. Yeah, there you go. So with that, uh, what have you guys been listening to recently? I have circled back and I'm listening to New Kansas again with a critical ear. So this is Absence of Presence. Um, it came out in June and I got it in a massive dump with a whole bunch of other stuff. I listened to it like two or three times and put it away. Mm-hmm. And so I pulled it back out and uh, really been spending a lot of time with it. It is very different. Um, I'm way past the three listen point, but I think this is going to be more like 20, 30 listens. Is it content or style or? It's style and it's mostly writing style, I think. This is the first album with Tom Brislin on keyboards. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's got a great resume. He played with Camel, played live with Yes, and he's got the chops. But I see his writing on most of the tracks uh, on the credits. It's Kansas, but it's Kansas in a different direction. So there's a couple of buddies that Craig and I met on the on the boat, Pete and Dave Denico. So shout out to those guys. Shout out. Hashtag. David and I have been going back and forth about what the different influences are, and he thinks it's more Zach Rizvi, but. Mm. I hear a lot more of Tom Brislin writing in this, so it's good. It's just a little bit of a shock to the system. Do you think you're going to get there, or are you being tolerant because you're a Kansas guy and you want to love them? It's got a lot of prog. It's got a lot of good writing. I I think I will eventually get there, but I'll have to check in later. Well, that's how it is with a lot of Kansas albums. I remember Point of No Return came out, and it took a long time for me to get there. For whatever reason, yeah, stick with it. Yep, I will. How are you, Craig? What are you listening to? I am listening to Kairos. And, uh, and Lee, I know you brought this one up in a previous episode. Yes. I kind of went back and downloaded uh, all, the, all the Kairos albums. You know, when I first heard Frost, I thought, you know, they're in their own bucket. The more I listen to Kairos, the more they inhabit the same bucket. Yeah. And I just, I just really love them. When I first heard them, um, I think I even uh, texted you guys and said, you know, these guys sound like the English beat. Uh, they're like an 80s pop band. And then I was uh, going and reading an interview with one of the guys, or it might have been their wiki page. Uh, but they list their influences as, yeah, we really like 80s pop music. Mm-hmm. The song, Her Song is Mine, which is the last track on Selexa Dreams. God, what a gorgeous song. That is an awesome song. I'm going to call it Frog. And, and uh, you know, if you don't like it, go to our uh, Twitter page and, and flame me. DM the heck out of us. We're going to start doing some things to like, Shock the audience, so they'll start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but it's a, it's a great song. It's, it's, it's more of a movie soundtrack like musical song. Yes. So anyway, listen to Selexa Dreams. Uh, listen to that last song. Uh, it's awesome. And do we have to guess what you're listening to, Tony? Tony, what are you listening to? Any uh, surprises today? Anything come in the mail? No surprises. I'm listening to the new Arion. Yes. It's been quite an adventure, I'll be honest with you. How long ago from the time of this taping has it been since you got the album? I got it earlier in the day before I live streamed the unboxing and I sat on it and was a good boy. Uh-huh. And then it's been about 24 hours and I think I'm on listen five or six. Wow, okay. I was like, really? Like, this doesn't feel like Ariana. In our text thread, I even said that. And I just happened to be listening to a Prague Report podcast. They did an interview with Arian a couple of days ago and I just came across it. And I'm not wrong. It was not supposed to be an Arian record. 
If you want full details, by the way, folks, go check out the Prague Reports interview with Arjen. It's, it's about 30 minutes and it's a pretty good interview. He said that it originally started as a movie and he cast it as a movie, including the singer. Wow. He cast the singers because he knew that they had charisma and stage presence and could actually act in a movie. So was the comic going to be like the storyboard for the film? Well, maybe, but mostly what he said is that, so at the time of this recording, we're still in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and it was a movie going into the pandemic. (sighs) It was not an Arion thing. It was still just an independent thing. And so then when he realized they weren't going to be able to film, he went to his label and said, hey, like, I'd like to release this somehow. Let's release it as an album. And they were like, well, most people know you for Arion, so let's release it as an Arion album. The lyrics, the sung parts don't line up with the story. You can't really follow it linearly. I think that those were supposed to just be like musical numbers in the movie. Mm -hmm. Because of how they flowed like that, they ended up realizing that they needed the comic book to go along with it to help flesh out some of the story. I'm kind of where Lee said he was with that Kansas record. I'm still figuring out what my relationship is to it. It at least makes some kind of sense to me now. That's good. If I had had to try and accept that it was just a stock Arion record, I don't know. I'd be kind of stuck. I'm still a huge Arion fan. I love Arjen Lucasen. Who are some of the names on the album? Uh, so for singers, we have Tommy Karavik back, Simone Simmons back. Uh, we have Mike Mills back, and he steals the show and the entire thing for me on his one track. And I typically don't like his vocals. Like there's just something about his timber or something that doesn't resonate with me, but I really love him on this. And we have also uh, D. Snyder singing on a track for us in the role of the father. And then musically, the big name on this one is Joe Satriani with this amazing blistering guitar solo. Yeah. But I also want to give a little bit of shout out to Patty Gertie playing a hell of a hurdy gertie for an instrument you wouldn't normally typically expect to hear on a record, even a prog record. She does a really great job. And her name is literally Patty Gertie. Yes. Well, and that explains some of the things that we were talking about when we were just hearing clips that they sounded like they should be uh, Broadway tracks. Yeah. You know, so it explains some things. On my first listen, I I was sitting there and I was listening and I texted to you guys, you could easily cast this as a stage production. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. And I was like, and then to find out it was supposed to be a movie. That's what it was supposed to (laughs) be. It really speaks to Ariane Lucasen's abilities to be able to write to like completely different mediums and then just do a complete 180 and it's like all right well let's make it an album yeah absolutely so let's talk a little bit about new releases here lee why don't you lead us off what are some new releases that you know about or you're excited about the album queue is starting to build back up again after we had that pretty big dump over the summer pain of salvation um they've released a new album called panther new derek sherinian is out the phoenix there's a new toe hider out called I Like It. Mm-hmm. Coming soon, Fate's Warning has a new album in the queue called Long Day, Good Night. Yep. Flower Kings are going to do a new album called Islands. God, I love those guys. And there's a new live yes, Craig, called the Royal Affair Tour. Which yes is it? It's got 27 members. Um, there's new live Catatonia coming out called Dead Air, which I'm really excited about. New Todd Rundgren, which I know it's not Prague, but I don't care. I love Todd Rundgren. I think he's a genius. I think it is Prague. Lunatic Soul, that's the bass player from Riverside. He's got his own little side project. They're doing an album called Through Shaded Woods. New Crack the Sky. Yes. Mm -hmm. Called Tribes, yeah. And Frost just announced an eight-disc anthology called 13 Winners. 
I think anthologies are for your family to buy you at Christmas. I, I remember when I got the Yes anthology, and I forget how many CDs that was, and you have to sit there in front of your family smiling going, Gee, thank you. Now I've got two of every Yes album. (laughs) (laughs) But this one has a different cover. There you go. That's the ones I know about. What about you, Craig? Well, I don't know. The only prog news I have is uh, for the upcoming Genesis episode, I've been prepping by listening to all the post-Wind and Weathering, post-Steve Hackett Genesis albums, all the pop-oriented stuff. And uh, my prog news is I still don't like them. (laughs) Tony? Yeah, I do have a couple of new ones. So obviously by the time you will listen to this, we will have the new Arion Transitus out. Also coming out the same day uh, in another Marillion-related thing is Fish has a new record that is coming out called Veltschmetz, which he is billing as his last studio record. I saw that. It's not strictly prog. Um, he is is got a more pop bent as is Fish these days. Um, I have pre-ordered it. It hasn't come in the post yet, but we'll see. I'm at, I'm a bit excited about that. And then I noticed one as I was going through some records, Craig, that I thought you might be interested in because you've mentioned this group before. Yeah. Osric Tentacles has a new record called Space for the Earth I coming out that. on October 9th. Really? I saw that. God, talk about a band that's been around forever. Yep. If you've been listening to any of the podcasts, you know that Tony is our resident Ariane freak. And we're a little bit on the outside looking in. So we asked him to put together an episode about Arion and just talk us through it and take us on the Arion journey. So without further ado, Tony, tell us about Arion. All right. Thanks for asking me to do this episode, guys. I know this. I've been really chomping at the bit to do this because I take every opportunity I can to talk about Arion and to evangelize the music and gospel of Arion wherever I can. And, you know, when we've talked about this before, and I, it even came up in our intro episode where I think the story of my love of this band and this musician is kind of the story of how I came to love prog music in general. When I was first really coming to prog, I had found Dream Theater and was really jiving with the metal side of Dream Theater and really liked that. And then I had found Transatlantic and really liked Transatlantic. And then there was this connective tissue with Camelot too, where I found that Tommy Karavik was now in Camelot, but had also just been in this super group called Arion. And the record that he was on was called The Theory of Everything. I remember buying that record. It's a double disc. And I remember reading in the reviews that they were like, this is a big concept piece and it's two discs and they're four 20 minute tracks. And it's, it's a really intense thing. It's the most prog thing that Aryan Lucasen has ever done. And at this point, I didn't know anything about any of this. And so for me, it was kind of like diving into the deep end. Um, I would say probably without reservation that this is the most traditionally proggy record that Arian has ever produced. It's heavy on synthesizers and keyboards. You have on this record as featured performers, Rick Wakeman and Keith Emerson and Jordan Rudess. It was just a really different experience. But what I remember most about this was going into it, I already knew I really loved concept records, but I was reading these interviews and I'm hearing this, it's not part of the normal Arion canon, it's this new thing. And I was like, oh, well, maybe that's cool. I can get it on the ground floor of a new thing. And then in one of the interviews, Arian said, 
I really like to challenge myself. And the thing I chose to do on this record is not have verse, chorus, verse. There are no repeated lines on this record. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. As I got into it, one of the very first experiences I have on this record is this very proggy intro to this track, Progressive Waves. Is it just kind of coincidental that a lot of the songs that I've been stumbling on as I've been exploring Ariane, many of them have kind of an Irish jiggy, uh, kind of Celtic feel to it, or am I making that up? No, I don't think you're making it up. And in fact, on the new record that's coming out the 25th of September this year, Transitus, he actually has a hurdy-gurdy player on that. One of the things I think that defines the Ariane version of Prague is that it's, it doesn't fit into one box. It's not going to be like the ELP version of Prague or the Yes version of Prague or even the old school Genesis version of Prague. It's a very distinct thing because Arian Lucasen takes all of the things and puts them into a box. So on even on one track, you may get a very traditionally proggy thing with weird time signatures and some weird key signatures, but then that will fade into a folk sounding segue or a straight ahead metal thing. And when you think about Arian and how Arian is Prague, it's because it just takes whatever works for the song and just uses it. So definitely there's folk and there's metal and there's straight ahead rock and there's all the things like keyboards and synthesizers and things like that that you traditionally expect to find in a prog album. So I'm listening to this, this record and I, and I listened to the hell out of this first record before I bought any others. I think I probably sat and cycled on this one Arian record for a year. I just didn't get tired of it. And I'm listening to it beginning to end over and over and over. And this is not a short album and it's a very complex album because it doesn't have verse, chorus, verse. There's not really songs. They all kind of blend into one another. I even was, when I was researching things, I was trying to find some good quotes. Someone was interviewing Arian around the time and was asking him about the complexity of this record and, and how how that worked together, they said to Arian, seeing the theory of everything as a prog album, and he said, that album was very much a prog album. Of course, it was keyboard-oriented, and I had my heroes, Keith Emerson, Jordan Rudess, and of course, members of Yes, Genesis, King Crimson, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer in there. And then he continued on about the rise of streaming platforms and the splitting apart of records. He said, it's a bit scary. And what I'm afraid of is that people will think that it's not that special anymore. Music is becoming just background noise. In the good old days, I used to wash all the cars in my neighborhood to be able to get the 15 euro or whatever it took to buy an album. And I got the album on vinyl and you'd listen to the whole thing and you couldn't skip it. And it was an experience. You got the cover in your hands. It was magic. And that's how I felt about this record. It was just a complete experience. Even the way the tracks are divided, they're short little interludes and they don't really divide well. And even the, the progressive wave sample that I was just playing for you, that is like very out of context. Like there's a whole thing going on in the concept of the album and, and the storyline of the album. And it's just a whole thing that I just sat there and I consumed for that whole first year before I felt 
quite honestly brave enough to go tackle any of the other area material. It was just a big thing. What year is this? And so this album came out in 2013. It was right in that time frame where Tommy Karavik had joined Camelot. And in one of the interviews, the way I found out about Arion is that Tommy Karavik said, and I just did this other project. And so it was very timely um, in that way. Where in the uh, Arion stream of albums did that album come out? In the chronology of the general overall records, it's actually the second to last or second to most recent studio record. Since then, they've had several live records, um, but, and actually Transit is coming out this year is the next uh, studio record, but um, we had Theory of Everything. We had The Source in 2017, so there were four years between uh, Theory of Everything and then the last studio record. And then that's when they started doing the Arion live shows, and now we've had um, high-def re-release of Into the Electric Castle, which is a great remastering and and remixing of that album. I own both versions, the original and the remaster, and I actually sometimes find um, the original a little difficult to listen to. And Arian himself has even said, like, I had these great sound effects on my DAT tapes and I couldn't figure out how to use them. And so he brought them into the the new high-def mix and used them in that way. Is someone else doing the remaster or is he doing it? No, Arian does it. I wonder how much Aryan would be different if other people were doing some of the production here. Like, for example, you know, Steve Wilson remastering Gentle Giant. If you feel like this is kind of a... You're too close to it? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's a good way to put it. And yeah, that actually came up in um, a couple of the interviews I found and a recent live Q&A on Facebook. Someone asked him that kind of question. Because the question, he, the way he answered it, it came up in the context of, will we ever see Arion B-sides or will we ever see Arion like lost content? Yeah. And he said, no, because he records everything digitally. He does everything there. And he comes to things with a concept very clearly defined in his mind already. And if he doesn't use it, he just throws it away. Right. That makes sense. I think with that kind of mindset, even the production side of this, he's considering because he is a producer. He does production work for other people. I think the probably the only other person that he would ever let touch that would be Joost Vandenbroek, who plays keyboard and Hammond for him in the live shows and does some production work for him in the studio. A long time ago, I heard a Jeff Beck interview. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said was, I have a really hard time putting a wrapper on the album and putting it out Mm -hmm. because I always want to tweak. And if you're going to go back and remaster because the technology improved or you can get better DSPs or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. do you feel like there's a point where you need to walk away? Yeah. I I can't speak for Aryan here. Um, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This, this has come up a little bit and it was actually really fascinating in some of these interviews. He was talking about, Part of what got him to start doing some of these remasters is that he wanted to remaster things to re-release on vinyl because the few vinyls that do exist are exceptionally expensive. And so since he was in the remastering process anyway, he took the opportunity to go back and revisit some of the content. So I don't know if it's that person that can't let go. Think about like a movie when they do an HD remix. Yeah, and they'll do like a director's cut and things like that. Sometimes the technology just wasn't there to get what you really had in your head. And I think sometimes there's that part of it. Yeah. 
But I, I, get, I get the gist, and I don't get that vibe here because Aryan has talked in interviews many times about he's got so many creative juices going on that he's actually kind of anxious, it seems, to get one thing done, get it released, and move on to the next. It really did strike me, though, when he said he throws stuff away. That seems so odd to me. Somebody with that much creativity doesn't have a notebook of snippets around or a song got three quarters of the way done. That's a sick mind. (laughs) But the guy is incredibly prolific so that I can understand that everything that's coming out of him is going somewhere. Goes on to the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, you got a good point about remastering towards LP because I know a lot of bands are really rethinking that. And mastering towards LP is very different than mastering towards digital output. I actually learned something listening to him about it because he said, you know, if you have a track that has a lot of low end, yeah. it does some weird things to the spacing of the grooves and it'll cause the LP to skip. And that never even occurred to me. Oh, no shit. And so he said, you know, when you're mastering for an LP, you have to be really mindful of those kinds of things. So that was very interesting to me. That makes sense. And so that's where I spent my first year or so in the Arion universe was sitting with the theory of everything, really taking in this album and listening to it. And, you know, I'm not going to make the mistake in this time of trying to tell you every single singer that's been on every single album and every single musician that's been on every single album, because that just becomes a laundry list. Because they all have. Now we're into the Arion universe. I think that there are some things that you need to know about how this all fits together. There's concepts that keep us all kind of in the Arian world. One, there's Aryan himself. He's just kind of a quirky, weird personality, and he seems really, really down home, kind of like we've already talked about. Then there's this whole story and concept, the big space opera that's larger than life. And he has taken quite a bit of flack for that over the years. People go, the music's great, but get rid of the stupid story because it makes no sense. And there are parts of it where it makes no sense. But I think if you put it up against something like Star Wars, really, honestly, Star Wars doesn't make much sense either, right? Blasphemy! <laughs> you gotta be careful. <laughs> Sorry, neither, does, neither does the lamb lies down on Broadway, so it's okay. There's some truth in that, Craig. <laughs> then there's this whole other side of this where some people come to it just because the musicians that he gets to be on these records. Right. He gets some top-notch vocalists and musicians and puts them in a room together and it's amazing. I think he's the only guy that can do that in this world today. And it's interesting. Like I've seen in some of the behind the scenes DVD footage and YouTube interviews, there's this joke that if your caller ID says, are you Lucas? And you just say yes before you even hear him <laughs> ask the question. It's just kind of that gravitas and personality that he has. And then one thing, Lee, that you were talking to me about is there's all these side projects too. Right. I am big into those as well because they're not all prog. Like some of them are very ambient and, and electronic and some of them are um, just straight ahead metal like Star One. I just, I love Star One. Um, one of my favorite concepts that he did with uh, Annika von Heersbergen is called The Gentle Storm. And it's a two disc album that has One is modern instruments playing all the tracks, and it's very a modern arrangement and all of that. And the the other is, because the story takes place in, I think, around the 1600s, and it's a story of like a Dutch sailor leaving his family and sailing to India, it's instruments of the period playing the exact same tracks. That's a concept in and of itself, and I really, really like that. So after I got done really stewing in the theory of everything, 
I just kind of did what Craig does. And I went to Amazon and I was like, all right, Arion, what's the next thing that pops up? Because I'm still a novice at this point in time. The next thing that popped up is this double disc called the Universal Migrator Part 1 and Part 2. And this was an interesting concept too, because it was a double album released on the same day, but as two different purchases. And so you had to actually buy two CDs. They didn't come in the same package. The Part 1 CD, a lot of people describe it as proggy. It is proggy in places. I consider it more soundscapey and ambient. Arion is the center of my progressive wheel. This is where I was introduced to Damien Wilson for the very first time. And so he sings on this track called And the Druids Turn to Stone. The magic words are spoken As we leave the plain in silence Now the circle stands alone I remember very clearly being absolutely floored by that voice. For a while, all my wife and daughter heard about was Damien Wilson, Damien Wilson, Damien Wilson. That's how I found Threshold. That's kind of how this keeps happening for me over and over and over is that I'm listening to Arion. There's a vocalist. I like this vocalist. Let me go find out whatever their home band is or whatever other projects. It starts to sprinkle together the spider web of performers. As we've talked about, I'm coming from the metal world. I dropped into Arion, blown away by the theory of everything and very how proggy it is. Listen to Universal Migrator Part 1, and I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. It felt a little like the theory of everything. Now, is it, part of, is it part of the canon? Yes, it is. Okay, okay. These things are going to weave in and out as we go. Mm-hmm. But then because it's a double thing, I know I need to listen to part two. On the song Chaos, the very first track on the part two disc starts with this really thrashy heavy metal intro. stuff and i was just floored and that became the second arian record that i just listened to over and over and over one of my favorite parts of that entire universal migrator part two is near the end of that record there's this song and they're actually flying you through the cosmos and talking about the effects of a gravity well there's very physics and science-based stuff going on in a prog song, like a heavy metal prog song. I remember the first time I was listening to that record, picking up on the vocals and really like, oh, what are they talking about here? And I'm like, talking about going through the event horizon of a black sun? Like, it's like, and like, I'm piecing together the physics part of my mind. It's like, that's actually accurate. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what it would be like to fly through that. And I'm like, oh, this is really, really cool. This is where I, I start really paying attention to who the musicians are, because that was a big deal on this pair of records. On this particular record, we have Floor Janssen, who is now in Nightwish, and also Edward Reekers is on part one, uh, and then Damian Wilson. Neil Morse is also on part one. And then on part two, on this particular record, we have Russell Allen from Symphony X, 
Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden, Fabio Leone from Rhapsody of Fire. And I didn't know who a lot of these people were, right, at all. You really turned me on to um, Arion. Yeah, I think it might have been that track that that night in the car that I played for you. I think it might have been Chaos. You know, you're right. It was. I ran out and bought these two albums, and I was instantly struck by the difference in presentation between these two albums. And I really kind of struggled to get past that. Hmm. So for someone that's immersed in the canon, does that difference not hit you as much? You know, because it all flows from the same story? I think that's a really great question. And I think part of my answer is going to be relevant to our recent text thread about the recent Rick Wakeman record, The Red Planet. Okay. If you think about the, what the concept is, it's being on Mars and Rick Wakeman writing a soundscape that sounds like you're on Mars. And if you can engage with that part of it, then it all makes sense. At least it does to me. Right. Mm-hmm. For these two records, if you understand what's going on in the canon, I think the music makes sense in context because okay. on part two, it's what's happening inside this simulated environment. This person is flying through space and having this experience inside a simulated environment. So it's bringing that to life. And then the part one record is actually a lot of events that are happening on the outside of that simulator at for basically the same time. Right. If you can find yourself engaged in what that story is trying to tell at that point in time, I think the, salt, the, the feel of the album makes sense. Okay. So now is that, is that an assumption you're making or is he actually said, I write the story and then the music follows that? No, in fact, it's quite the opposite. In multiple interviews I could find, uh, he's always talked about how he writes the music first. The music always comes first. Interesting. Kind of in a vein of what we were talking about earlier about how prolific he is. Mm -hmm. He is always writing and he never knows, is this going to turn into a Star One record? Is this going to turn into an Arion record? Is this going to turn into something completely different? And in fact, on this upcoming record, uh, Transitus, here in 2020, a longtime contributor, Ed Warby, who has been the drummer for Arion for most records, almost all the records, as far as I know, except for the first and second records. The only reason he's not the drummer on this record is because when Arion was writing it, by the time he realized it was going to become an Arion record, Ed Warby was otherwise committed and couldn't come do the drumming. It took him a period of time to realize, oh, this is turning into an Arion record. He definitely has said multiple times that he does not write lyrics beforehand. He sees what the feel of the song is, or even the passage or series of sequence of songs, and then figures out how the lyrics are going to go. So it was at about this point in time where I was like, I got into all the performers here, and I decided to go back and reinvestigate the theory of everything and, and who the performers were there. Vocalists on that record were JB from Grand Magus, Sarah Squadrani from Ancient Bards, which is another place where that's a, a very uh, thrash metal band um, in the vein of Dragon Force, and I fell in love with them. Mike Mills from Toehider, Christina Scabia from Lacuna Coil was on this record. As I already mentioned, Tommy Karavik, Marco Hiatala from Nightwish, and John Wetton um, from Asia. How can you just say John Wetton from Asia? I mean, come on. That's- I had no idea John Wetton was on that album. I mean, Rick Wegman, Keith Emerson, and Jordan Rudis all on the same album. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And Steve Hackett. Still not worthy. But John Wetton, holy shit, man. I just, I think the world of John Wetton. This goes right back to exactly my experience in Prague. This has suddenly opened up my experience. It was about this point where I was like, all right, I'm all in. 
I'm, I'm totally a fan of, of Arion. And so I went on Amazon or wherever, and I basically bought the entire rest of the discography and started working through it. Is there like a, a Canon discount? <laughs> there should be a frequent listener card. If you can recite the story, you get like 5% off or something. Buy 10 albums, get the 11th one free. No, there should be, like, there should be a discount code for, uh, for you. <laughs> Maybe there should be. So, what, so Keith Emerson was on what year? In 2013. Because he passed in 2016. That might be one of the, I don't want to say last things or be morbid, but it's like a heck of a way to go out. And so as I went back in time, I decided, all right, cool, I'm all in on this mythology and everything, and I'm going to go back and I'm going to start listening to the records from the beginning. The Arion fans that are listening to this, you're going to absolutely know what I'm about to play, but this is the first real passage that you hear that forms the basis of what is now the Arion mythos. And it's from the song, The Awareness on the Final Experiment. There are certain musical themes or passages that repeat over and over that tell you certain things are happening. And especially as it plays into the mythos, it's called the forever cycle. One of the recurring themes is this concept of an electronic device that's developed by this alien race, uh, and it's called the dream sequencer. And whenever you hear it, you know that the part of the story you're about to hear is happening either inside of this machine, which basically is a machine that you can hook yourself into and it can take you anywhere in time and space. And basically it's a VR simulation of it. And th that becomes a hook over and over that tells you whether or not something is connected to the Arion mythos or not. And so that sound that we all know very, very well is this one right here. Dream sequencer system online. Good morning, colonist. You have selected the Universal Migrator Program. Dude, I was expecting something so subtle, like a little pew. That means they're in the dream sequencer. No, it's a British dude saying, you are entering the dream sequencer. So specifically, it's that little, like, it's almost like the Intel chime where it's like, boop, 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 boop. Yeah, but then there's a freaking paragraph. Well, there is that in that particular <laughs> instance. But... One of the things about another record um, that Lee and I have talked about in the past is called The Human Equation. Right. That record, when he was doing the promo for it, Aryan said, no, it's not part of the forever mythos. And you listen to the whole album and you're going in and out of this person who's in a coma and listening to these stories and these tracks. And then the very last thing you hear on that record is the dream sequencer tone. And is it just the tone or is it the tone in the paragraph? No, it's not just the tones. There's this other little dialogue that comes in and it says um, human equation simulation has failed and you hear some error messages and stuff like that. And then you hear the dream sequencer tone. But the important part is that you went for this entire record and didn't know it was just songs. And then at the very end, then you get the hook back into the Arian mythos. So there's this concept in the forever mythos called the universal migrator. And without spoiling too much of the mythos in a galaxy far, far away kind of thing in Star Wars, where these beings existed millions of years ago. They had a very high civilization. 
They destroyed it. And their concept of how to save themselves was to bend sci-fi physics, send some DNA through a wormhole, go through time, and then populate Earth. This DNA strand or this being that they send is called the universal migrator. It's basically the thing that seeds all of life. Hmm. The new record coming out, they've just released a new video for it in the past week. Arian has said this record is not related to the forever mythos, except highlighted in the lyrics is the phrase, what will it take to survive a universal migrator? He's a marketing genius. He was teasing us. It's fan service. It's, he knows exactly what he's doing at this point. And I, I don't fault him for it because we're all eating it up. All of us Arianauts are eating it up. Arianauts, you snuck that one right in there, man. This is where I want to dovetail a little bit into talking a little bit about Arian the Man. This first record called The Final Experiment is coming out in 1995. Prior to this, he had been in a bunch of straight-ahead hair metal bands in the late 70s and throughout the 80s. He had been in the band Bodine with Jay Van Felgen. He had also been in the band Vengeance for several records. He then went off and in 1994 actually did a solo record uh, under his name Anthony, because his name is Arian Anthony Lucasen. It's very much a metal record in 1994. At the same time he's releasing that record, he's recording and finishing the first Arian record. And it comes out and it's very popular and people like it. At that time, he, he has said in interviews, it was a canned experience. That was it. It was the beginning and the end right there in that one record. So then in 1996, he releases the album Actual Fantasy. I, what I have here in my notes is it's straight ahead rock, no guests, no success. It was just panned. No one liked it. So then he decides to go back to this proggy thing. And in 1998, he releases what many people feel is probably the best and most Arian feeling of all of the Arian records, and it's Into the Electric Castle. The way I, I introduced this album to my daughter was I said, it's D&D in music form. It's eight adventures. They get set through this VR experience where this being who identifies themselves as forever is pushing people through this experience to figure out when they feel fear, when they feel pain or whatever, because this race called the forever have become so enmeshed with their computers that they've forgotten these things, right? It's a very common sci-fi trope, and this is where a lot of people pick on Arion. What I really want to pick apart here a little bit on this record is some of the musical themes that they use. And so on one of the first tracks um, called Amazing Flight in Space, I'm interested in your perspective of this. There's this guitar pit near the beginning of that track, and to me it feels very Zappa, but I'm interested in what you guys think of it. Van Halen. You think it's Van Halen? No Zappa. Yeah, doesn't strike me as Zappa either. I've got four different samples for this one track because this is one of the places where something can be progged multiple different ways in the exact same track with Arion, mm -hmm. where we have that kind of guitar-driven thing. And then we have this very ethereal midsection. And so near the very end, we get into this very proggy jam session that ends with a flute solo played by Thies von Leer.
That's awesome. Love that. I really like that open, breathy Ian Anderson kind of flute. So this album is widely regarded as the best Arion record ever. This is what they recently redid in 2018, the re-release, the 20th anniversary re-release. Uh, so that's where Arian went back and remastered it and remixed it, brought a lot of stuff out in the mix. And then they did uh, Into the Electric Castle Live, which is an amazing live album in its own right. In continuity, after this becomes the Universal Migrator pair of albums. And then after that comes the Human Equation. And I previously have identified this album as being very flat to me. Right. And Lee, I know that you've said that, and this, cause this is one album that I've listened to it. I know the parts of the story that fit in with the continuity. It's not one that I go to on a regular basis and listen to. There was a good quote I found about this. What is your relationship, Aryan, with the album, The Human Equation, nowadays? Because I know that for a lot of musicians, that one big album becomes a love-hate relationship because everyone asks about it, and everyone still wants to hear it, you know, and everything is measured in that light. Aryan's response is, I actually think that Electric Castle was my standout album production-wise. You know, that was just my breakthrough album. The Human Equation, I think, as a whole, is great. I have no hate relationship towards it at all. I just think the production could be stronger. The drums were recorded where we had a lot of problems and the sound didn't work and we had to redo the drums three times. Interesting. I wonder, as much as I've talked in the past about production, I've often described that album as sounding hollow to me. It doesn't sound as rich as other albums do. I was going to say, that's kind of like what uh, we were talking about with the Gentle Giant re-releases. You know, you listen to Octopus or something and it's, it sounds flat. Then you listen to the Steve Wilson remaster. And it's amazing. It's a whole different Mm -hmm. album. And again, I'm not a person of the canon, but there are definitely standout songs in this that I really like. Yeah, one that I I think most people that at least appreciate that record, a couple of ones that I I brought out here. It's interesting that Devin Townsend is on that record. Devin. We're all fans of Devin Townsend here. There are two different samples I want to play you from this record. They're both incidentally from the same track, which I think Many people would identify as the most famous track from this record. It's called Day 16. And know that in context, this album is over 20 days and someone is in a coma because they've had a car wreck and basically their life is flashing before their eyes while they're in this coma and they're processing trauma from their life. So the beginning of this track starts with, of all things, an amazing didgeridoo solo. That's one of the few places where I was like, I'm going to listen to this track over and over without spoiling too much of what all the story is and everything. But in this track, the the person that's in the coma is being revisited by uh, their abusive father who's calling them a loser because this is called Day 16 Loser. The particular persona that Devin Townsend sings on this album is the persona of rage. So it's the embodiment of this person's anger and rage. It's kind of typecast there. Yeah, and so at the very end, he has the the last word literally and figuratively on this track. Loser. Yeah, 
So I want to point out as a as a new Devin Townsend fan that he can also sing notes. Yeah, actually, it's hard to tell if that's Devin Townsend or Steven Tyler. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, they they, they look pretty similar. Well, with the hair he did, maybe. Yeah, one looks slightly more like a grandmother than the other. And that that intro for that track is actually much longer than that. For sample length reasons, I shortened it significantly. But it starts with this like really low bassy didgeridoo, and then it builds up. And then as you heard, in that middle section, there's this guitar overlay, and then that goes to a violin overlay. That particular intro, it's not particularly complex, but it feels fucking awesome to me like it's just an amazing structure like how it was put together is one of those cases for me where it's so simple in its elegance to me and i really love that there's one more album that i really want to touch on this is the album zero one zero one zero zero one there are two things that i want to get out of this for you first is there is a track on this record called waking dreams which is one of the most atmospheric tracks that ariana has done And it features this amazing duet between two vocalists that you would probably never put together. One is Annika von Hirsbergen, and the other is Jonas Renkska of Catatonia. And this is where the mythos is so deep and great for me. So the name of that album, 01011001, converted into ASCII is the letter Y, which incidentally, that we now know as the forever, they were going to planet Y. So it's not a chromosome? No, not in that way. So there are two places in Arian mythology where people actually sing binary. (laughs) (laughs) And so one is actually from that same record. And it's on the song Age of Shadows, and I have a small sample of it here. I am very oddly aroused right now. (laughs) Jeez. Here's where we get deep into the mythos and why this is important for fans of Arion. That's kind of a singing in the round that's happening, and that fits with What's going on in the mythos where all of these beings have turned themselves over to the computers, very Matrix style, like they're all in these pods and being taken care of. And if you actually take all the binary that they sing, it spells out help, forever, SOS, and it's all of them singing as a collective. On the most recent record called The Source, there is another place where someone sings in binary, and it's Mike Mills from Toehider who's singing this part. And I'm going to play a small bit of this and explain to you why that's important. So what's going on in this part of this album, in the storyline, there is this being kind of like an automaton. He's known as TH1 or Transhuman 1. If you take the binary that he's singing, it spells out trust, TH1, because they need to trust him in order to escape and survive from this computer apocalypse that's happening. 
this is where the mythos becomes tightly coupled with what's going on musically. They're singing in this binary, and then what is that spelling out and telling you about the story? Or in the other example, they're singing a kind of binary in the round kind of thing, but it makes sense thematically because they're all in these pods and they all have kind of a unified consciousness now. That's kind of the end. There have been some other Arion-related um, records. Arion did a self-titled record in 2012 entitled Lost in the New Real. Incidentally, it had Rutger Hauer as the narrator on that record. Okay, he just went up another notch in my book. Yeah, seriously, seriously. Blade Runner tie-in. Yeah, I know, exactly. And you know what the name of his character was? Voigtkamp. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> So that catches us up in terms of most of the studio records. Like I mentioned, in the past couple of years, we've had this transition to doing some live shows and live albums. Here in 2020, we do have the album Transitus coming out shortly. It features Tom Baker from Doctor Who as the narrator. Tommy Karavik, Mike Mills are back. It has Dee Snyder singing. Yeah, that Dee Snyder, Joe Satriani song, that's awesome. Simone Simmons is on it. Uh, Diane Von Heersbergen's on it. Cami Gilbert from Oceans of Slumber. Um, Paul Manzi's on it. We also still have Satriani. Joe Satriani, that just blows me away. One thing that I find really interesting when you look at the cast of characters that's performed on an Arion record is that definitely we get the musicians and performers like Keith Emerson, Jordan Rudess, and Rick Wakeman, those kinds of personalities. But you have, like, on the upcoming Transitus record, you have Dee Snyder, Michael Akerfeld, and there are these people that are not prog singers Tommy Karavik being one that Cami Gilbert, Aryan got these metal singers to come over and be in a prog band, which I think is kind of interesting. Do you feel like that fills it out more than a normal prog album would? No, not necessarily. But what I think it does is it gives Aryan a big canvas to paint with. And he talked about that in the Q&A today, right? I mean, he said, I wanted somebody with a giant voice who could own this song. And that's Dee Snyder. Well, Rob Halford, a fucking Judas Priest, <laughs> was a hair's breadth from being on an Arion record. As a huge Judas Priest fan, mm -hmm. in my metal roots, I think I might actually die of a heart attack if I heard <laughs> Rob Halford on an Arion record. What was notable is who else was on this was Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper. Jack Black was on it. Jack Black? Yeah. You know, he, he's got a metal voice, man. He can, he can sing. Tenacious D is a comedy band, but he's got chops. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, he does. He did a bunch of interviews on a couple of the Rush movies, and he knows his shit. Maybe it's not that it gives Aryan a bigger canvas. I think his canvas is probably the same size, but it gives him a whole lot more colors to paint with. And so as a last thought, this creative output from Aryan Lucasen is prolific. The last interview quote that I want to leave here with is, why does it... the version of Prague that you get with Arion um, feels so distinctive. And in this interview, someone said, in, in general, your work seems to go against the stereotypes of progressive rock and metal and that it's more than just technical flashiness with a little effort in songwriting. You seem to find a balance between the two. And he said, I think that's because I didn't grow up with Prague metal. I grew up with Prague and with metal. I listened to Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin, but also ELP, Pink Floyd, Yes, and Genesis. Those are two totally different styles, but I enjoy it all. I don't know if people did it before me already. Maybe a band like Queensryche. I think that's where the extremes in my music come from. I'm telling you guys, Queensryche, that's where a lot of Prague influence comes from. Which I think 
is exactly me, right? Like we were talking recently and I was really excited about Rick Wakeman. And then the very next day, I was really excited about a new Dark Sarah record. And now there's another symphonic metal band that I like called Leaves Eyes. They've got a record coming out. And so there's a lot of influences for me. And it just all kind of seems to congeal in Ariad. Cool. Ariad is the center of your universe. It is. So I don't know if, I, if I'm trying to convince people to like Arion, although I wish more people did. Um, You've been successful. Every time I listen to a few more Arion songs, like this weekend, I kind of devoted to just listening to as much as I mm-hmm. could. I really kind of crossed the threshold. I was like, it's good. It's well-crafted. Uh, he gets incredible musicians. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of variety. I don't think there needs to be much of a sell, right? And that's why I say that I don't try and convert people because... I think the music speaks for itself. You're either going to like this or not like this, and I've, I've come to accept that. I feel like I kind of crossed the chasm this weekend because I was listening to a bunch of Ariane and it just started to click. And then I saw a clip from the concert you went to, and I was watching it, and I was thinking, God, I wish I would have been there. Yeah. You know, for me, when you and I started comparing Prague albums, we were just throwing bands at each other. Oh, listen to this, listen to this. And I think when I first jumped into Ariane, I really approached it from trying to find the best tracks. And now that we've talked about this in depth, I'm realizing that that's not necessarily the best way to approach it. Yeah. I think I'm ready for a reset where I can listen to it more from the longer story from the canon. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to add from my perspective is that Arion brings together some of the best vocalists in music, period. Some of my favorites, like Michael Erickson from Circus Maximus, James Labrie from Dream Theater. And one of the big draws for me has always been how he brings the best female vocalists together on the same project. You know, people like Flor Janssen and Simone Simmons. Uh, You've mentioned a few of them here. Mm -hmm. You know, his use of voices in a cast as a producer is one of the best in the world by far. It's funny that we just you just mentioned Labrie because there are other vocalists that are in my big encyclopedia that I have here that I didn't even mention. And I think that that speaks to the depth, that there's so much depth here that I missed someone like James Labrie. If you're Arian Curious, don't try and pick one or two tracks and don't try to consume it all at once. Just pick an album, and I don't know if it really matters which album other than maybe actual fantasy since that's not related to the canon. But just pick an album and do what I did. Just kind of stew with that album for a while and get the feel for the Arion vibe and then branch out from there. And the Arion vibe is a really good way to describe it. The Arion vibe is definitely a thing. You know, we spent this whole time talking and I didn't even get into their most recent recording of The Source, which is a great recording in and of itself. Um, I would say probably that it's my daughter's favorite record. We have a lot of artists coming back on that record like Tommy Karavik and Mike Mills and Floor Janssen. And incidentally, connecting some of the records, we have them singing the same roles that they sang on 0101. And that's intentional. I'm not going to get too much into that. I think we've already talked enough about Ariel, but definitely check out that record. It is a prequel to the rest of the mythos if you wanted to listen to them chronologically. Thank you guys again for giving me that that time to talk there. Let's go ahead and let's get into some recommendations that you guys have. So why don't we start with you, Lee, and then we'll go to Craig, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. In the last uh, podcast, I recommended somebody, and I said this was part two of two. That was actually part one of two, and part two of this is a woman named Annika Nillis, 
Uh, she's in the same kind of vein as Madel Cohen. She does a lot of dream theater or whatever or tool. She has landed a new record contract, and so her new album is called Piccolar. And I recommend you guys go pick that up. It's a great progressive jazz song. Um, some of the nicest progressive jazz I've heard in a long time. All right, what you got, Craig? Well, I've been listening to Kairos, and we've talked about them. In addition to reminding me of the English beat, they reminded me of this weird 90s band out of L.A. called Jellyfish. They're kind of a, uh, not a one-hit wonder, more of a uh, two-and-through band. They kind of have a vibe. It's sort of like Super Tramp meets Queen, uh, kind of Mata Hoopily. But their two albums are just jam-packed with just beautifully written, orchestrated, produced songs. Every now and then you run into somebody who's heard of Jellyfish, and they're like, oh yeah, those guys are great. Definitely a little more on the poppy side, but also sort of proggy. Heartily, heartily recommend them. Awesome. My recommendation is if you're still feeling a little bit intimidated by Arion and you want to do like Arion Light, I definitely recommend going and picking up The Gentle Storm. That record, it's a collaboration between Annika von Heersbergen and Arjen. It's going to give you a good feel for how Arjen Lucasen puts together an album that's based on a concept. And you can listen through it, get a feel for it, and then decide if you want to take on the rest of Arion. Before we close out, guys, do you guys have any closing thoughts or anything you want to leave the listeners on? It's nice to see this kind of a concept, at least over multiple albums. I mean, nobody else is doing that. So definitely a great thing to go explore. Yes. Craig, do you got anything? No, I just want to, I want to give you kudos, man. Because uh, when I first uh, met you, what, six, seven years ago, uh, I remember we had lunch. We went for a walk around the building. Basically, you indoctrinated me. Um, I was afraid I wasn't going to get back in the building. We're sort of heading to your car, and I thought, this is where I die. Uh, my family's <laughs> not going to see me again because there's a cult, and it has to do with Arion. It's beautiful to see your enthusiasm and to now feel like I'm part of it. I, I really do. I, I really appreciate that. So thank you. That's how cults work. You know, well, you know what? If you died, Craig, at least you would have died listening to good music. I would have died having heard of Ariane. So as we close out here, everyone, don't forget, you can find us on Twitter at UP3Show. Reach out to us. Uh, hit us up. Talk to us. Contact us via email at UP3Show at gmail.com as well. If you want to just show us support, it's easy. Please subscribe at podbean at UP3Show.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're on one of those platforms that lets you leave a review, please take a few moments and leave a review for us. That'll help make sure that our show pops up where other other like-minded people are looking. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Hey, folks. Tony here. If you made it this far, congratulations. You're getting every ounce you can out of this podcast episode. As a reminder, we're a podcast about commentary and opinion on prog music. We use samples of music to make our point and to teach others. We are in no way claiming the copyright of any music found in our samples and strongly recommend that you support these artists by buying their material or seeing them live. If you're an artist and you'd like for us to change how we've used your content on the show, please contact us directly so that we can work together. Thanks, guys.